0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Six on the play clock. Snap, oh, not a great snap. Armstrong gets it down, the kick sending toward the uprights, and the kick it's good! And the Huskers have the lead! Barrett Pickering from 47 yards out, and it's 9-6, Big Red. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate War. I am shivering with excitement because it's finally game week for the Nebraska Corn Oscars after a long summer and what seems like a really long August. Finally here. We made it, Nate Rowe. We made it. We survived. There's going
1: to be a football game on Saturday. There's Ooh. a little chance of rain, but not enough and not enough, not lightning or anything to where the game get, gets canceled.
0: Don't even think that.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to put that evil too much on anybody, but uh, I know the thought crossed my mind when I checked the weather uh, actually this afternoon because this morning it looked pretty good. Yeah. It looked like it was going to be cool, but looked pretty good. And then the latest weather forecast says rain, rain. for Saturday morning. Hopefully, get it at here. the very least, get it done by 11 a.m. Yeah. It might ruin some tailgates, but at least when toe meets leather... Let's get that junk out of here and let's play ball and let's have
0: the weather be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're into our Monday routine. during the football season. So, a great show. Scott Frost had a press conference earlier today. We'll play some of those highlights throughout hour number one. Our second hour, Mondays with Matt. We've revived that segment. Matt Davison, the color analyst for the Husker Sports Network, will join us coming up at the top of hour number two. Adam Rittenberg will make his weekly appearance with us. Uh, from ESPN.com, who he by the way, if you didn't see it over the weekend, did you catch it? I did. Yes. He he wrote a terrific piece about the dominance of Indomitian Sue for that 2009 season. Some terrific quotes in there. Even Dabo Sweeney makes an appearance, talking about trying to block Sue in that '08 Gator Bowl. It's a really well-done piece. I, I encourage it to everybody. Adam did a great job with it.
1: And, and don't be modest. You A couple times. You contributed as well to the, to the discussion. But yeah, great look at it in Dominican Sue and how dominant he was in 2009. I mean, lest we forget, and I think it's almost impossible to, how dominant he was. And isn't it something for all the talk of quarterbacks and skill position players, if you've got a dominant defensive tackle a really dominant defensive tackle, he can mess up the game quicker than anybody. Yeah. He can answer every other question the other team has.
0: They were kind of reminisce about the game in Columbia, Missouri, against mm-hmm. the Tigers where he really had a field day. That's that Thursday night game. That was a rainy game. Too, and the, the power went out. The Huskers couldn't even find their locker room. It was so dark down there. Yeah, the the lights were out in the locker room. I think
1: the the fans were out. They had to round up some fans to put up in the locker room, and guys were – Turning on the flashlights on their cell phones to provide light. Uh, The one upshot to the power outage was the fact that it killed the sound system at Faroe Field, and so anything they wanted to do to try and fire up that crowd couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. No, no, no big AC/DC on third downs or no tiger roars or anything (laughs) like that. So in the end, it was probably for the best. But man, that made that a headache of a day.
0: Sure did. That made um, Adam's piece at Winover, Oklahoma at home made Adam so it was just a really well done piece. Go out and check it out. It's at ESPN.com and Adam, the author of that aforementioned piece, will join us coming up in hour number two. Weekend rewind, the lead off hour number three. Nate had a chance to catch up with now Captain Darian Daniels. We'll play that for you in the third hour of the program as well. What a really nice young man and has turned himself quickly into a leader. Nate, it's only been a couple of days since we've been on the air, but there's been so much that has happened in the last couple of days. It started about midday on Saturday with the commitment of Marvin Scott, three-star running back out of Florida. Uh, He made his announcement at noon Eastern, 11 Central, picking the Cornhuskers, giving Nebraska their second running back of the week. And you got to kind of feel like they're done with that position now for the 2020 class, but – this is a guy that had some offers from quite a few schools in the South and even going up into the Northeast at Boston College. Uh, but Huskers get back into Florida and get him another back. Yeah, another
1: Ryan held, held recruiting joint, too. And you look at it and the two running backs that Nebraska really wanted, Sevion Morrison and then Marvin Scott, the two running backs that commit last week. Morrison and Scott. I think guys see opportunity at that position. They also see that they can be an important part of this offense, that they'll be a big chunk of the run game. So it's an attractive position. I think Ryan Held is an exciting guy to play for. You know, we talk about him on this show being a quote machine and, and, being one of the highlights of, of post-practice when, when the offensive coaches speak to the media and that charisma and, and that, that speaking ability, I think, translates pretty well to the living room when you're talking to a prospective student-athlete. So yet another running back hits, yet another skill position player hits, and also it keeps Nebraska in the state of Florida and Tip of the hat to Sean Becton in that respect because Sean Becton, Nebraska's tight ends coach, has been instrumental in, in making sure Nebraska has a foothold in the southeast. It's always going to be really, really, really tough for Nebraska to get much out of the southeast, but... You know, they they need to be a part of, of the recruiting scene down there just to siphon off a player here, a player there, and obviously Scott's a guy that can really help the Huskers at running back.
0: He's the 10th commitment for this class, five of the ten, so 50% of the class right now, Skill position, wide receivers, running backs, quarterback. Now they need to look elsewhere, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's the focus as, as they move forward with this. We got a little bit of a head, head heads up on this last week, and I can't remember which guest we had on, but somebody said – I think there's some news coming soon, and I'm like, oh, how about that? Well, it was Marvin Scott who uh, announced his decision on Saturday that he's going to be a Cornusker. Later on Saturday, for the Boneyard Bash, which the team does a Saturday night practice, and only members of the student body are allowed in to come watch, they announced the captains, four of them, Adrian Martinez, uh, Matt Farniak from the offense, Muhammad Barry, and Darian Daniels, the two defensive captains to earlier today scott frost was asked about the naming of those captains
2: i was really excited especially excited to see the look on those guys face when we announced uh saturday night who the captains were those are the guys that are elected by their peers the team voted on it Um, a lot of guys got votes but those four were clearly the leading vote getters I think it says a lot about the two guys on offense, that they're elected at, as a sophomore and a junior. Um, Mo Berry, obviously, has been a good leader for our team since I've been here. Uh, says a lot about Darian Daniels. I believe he's going to be a, a captain on two different power five teams in two years. And he did a great job coming in and uh, not just doing things right himself, but um, holding other people to a standard that he expected. And it was great to see our, our team recognize that.
0: Surprise at all with those four names? No. Not a little bit, not at all. Uh, we talked
1: about this last week we and didn't. I think we were pretty close to it. I mean, Adrian Martinez and Muhammad Berry were almost sure bets, you know, 99.999999. Uh, Darian Daniels was a guy, even though he had come into the program uh, this, this winter you had heard a lot of the defensive linemen, a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball talk about the leadership he had exhibited just in the four months, six months, whatever, that he had been a part of the program. And Scott Frost mentioned it, that he was already a captain at Oklahoma state. So he has some of those natural leadership abilities and, and abilities to communicate. So, it was maybe a touch surprising, but it wasn't shocking, obviously, that that Darian Daniels got it. The biggest surprise, relatively speaking, was Matt Farniak, but here's a guy who's been a veteran, who's been a, a starter on the offensive line, who's vocal, which is important in a role like this, so... From that standpoint, it wasn't surprising, really, at all, that Farniak got it. About the only thing that would slow him down is the fact that he's not a senior. But as Scott Frost mentioned when he was asked about it on Friday, that was not going to be really a factor at all. And especially when you look at the offense and you look at the lack of seniors, really, entirely on the depth chart. I mean, there are hardly any seniors on that depth chart naturally you're going to have to look other places for your leadership and your second year starting quarterback's a good place to start and one of your more vocal offensive linemen's another good place to look
0: the only two seniors that have a chance to start are wide receivers kind of Ianoa and mike williams those would be the only two guys that are seniors that might start and neither one of them really stand out in your eyes as a leader. You and I had a lot of conversations, particularly on Friday. I don't know that a lot of these were on the air so people could call, say we're fibbing here. But we pretty much had this thing nailed down. As much as we've heard them talk about Darian Daniels, oh sure, we're like they're pointing, they're tell it's a tell. They're giving us a tell, an old <laughs> poker thing. They're giving us a tell that that's going to be the guy, and that's who it was.
1: Yeah, I, they they've been very effusive in their praise of Darian Daniels, and I think that that's. I mean, first off, they're just happy to get what what he's contributing to the team, but I think they also want to hold him up to the rest of the guys and say, "This is what we want out." This is what we're looking for just beyond doing your rep, just beyond, you know, executing your part of the play. But as far as leadership, as far as communication, as far as pushing other guys, and it was fun, you know, you mentioned the conversation I had with Darian earlier today, and he talked about how he and his brother pushed each other, and maybe that battle between the Daniels brothers kind of naturally grew to where he was pushing everybody else but Darien has gotten raves really since the first week could hear that uh, about his leadership and about what he was bringing to this table to the table beyond just his playing ability and so even though he's the first-year guy in the program, it's it's far from surprising that he's a captain.
0: So that happened Saturday. They announced it to the boneyard, to the student body, and that's that's a cool thing. I hope that's kind of a tradition moving forward. Or that's when they do the reveal. They've done it so many different ways going down through the years. Sometimes back in the day, sounding exactly old here, yeah. they used to do it in spring so that those guys in could kind of lead the workouts in the summertime. But I think this is a pretty cool thing to let this moment be shared with the student body. Uh, I think we all forget that this is still a university football team and the students are kind of the group.
1: Well, it gives, a, gives the students something special as part of that gathering. And, and the other thing, especially at this stage in the football program, you mentioned at, at one time or another they've named them in the spring so that they can lead through the summer and summer conditioning. Where this football program is right now, You know, can guys really lead if they don't know how to do it themselves? They're starting to figure it it out from everything we've heard from Scott Frost and this coaching staff. And it sounds like they're going down the right path. It sounds like they're doing more of the right things, but they're still working on it. It's still a work in progress. So can you really lead if you don't know how to do it yourself? The answer in this program, I think, is still... Not quite, but it's coming, and it's still. There's been a lot
0: of progress made from this point last year. I right, then t- this morning the team showed up for practice. The coaches had made the decision over a weekend to go ahead and pass out the black shirts, and to help them do that, they brought back a bunch of alums who were black shirts in their playing days to help do the honor. Here's the head coach earlier today talking about the way they did the black shirts.
2: Yeah, we we actually this was kind of a spur of the moment thing, but. You know, I, we didn't just want to have the, lock, the black shirts show up in guys lockers. Um, we wanted it to kind of mean more than that. So we got on the phone and got uh, some of the black shirts that are in the vicinity to come to practice today. Uh, they kind of took turns one by one coming up in front of the team and telling us what they thought it, it meant to be a black shirt and what a black shirt stood for. And then they presented the black shirts to the guys. Um, some of them are my teammates, some of them are my good friends. Uh, they did an unbelievable job. Uh, the Kelsey brothers were here: Jason Peters, Steve Warren, uh, Barrett Rude, Mark Munford, uh, Kenny Wilhite, Tony Veland, Keo Craver, Zach Bowman. Um, some great Huskers and great black shirts. And their message to the team was spot on. So it it was an it was a inspiring and neat scene after practice to to see that happen. Goosebumps.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean. it's just a practice jersey if if the players aren't educated on the tradition behind it the meaning behind it what what it meant to the players who came before them and unfortunately nobody on this team has been a part of a good defense nobody has been a part of a defense that would meet that standard and would and could adequately uphold that tradition so they need to be educated they need to to understand what it meant to a guy like Mark Munford back in the 80s and then you know throughout the 90s i mean Jason Peters kind of the poster child for this sort of thing but and he was involved last year but this year too him being at the center of it i think helps educate the guys to understand this is what it means this is how important it was to those guys and the standard that you would play with if you got one of these. So now this is what's going to be expected of you moving forward. So I, I like it. I think it's a way of fostering uh, that chain that, that has gotten broken. You think of Nebraska football and how, how tradition-rich it is. Well, if you're a player not playing the offense that Tommy Frazier, even Scott Frost played for, played in, you know, you're, you're not playing a defense that – Grant Wisdom played it. What's what's it mean to you? What why does that matter to you? Bringing those guys back makes it matter.
0: Sure does. Cool thing. Great for the guys. Uh, and what a what a special way to do that. So kudos to this coaching staff for coming up with that idea. Don't know whose idea it was, but whoever came up with it great idea
1: it was probably matt davison's come on he's 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 got to have something like that up his sleeve right he
0: would be far too modest to admit that it was his idea right
1: no no he would never (laughs) never ever say that let's uh
0: let's get a cut or two in nate before we go to the break scott frost met with the media today for a little over 20 minutes his first of what will be a seasonal thing on mondays uh give us some of the highlights well, of
1: course, the storyline, one of the biggest storylines of this year is uh, how much improvement this Nebraska football program has made from the beginning of last year, licking their wounds after the 4-8 and eight season and struggling under Mike Riley, to this point this year where they finished so strong. And Scott Frost was asked about how much improvement's been made from last year to this year.
2: My hope coming out of last year was that we could build off the momentum and improvement that we made at the in the second half of the season. I think our guys have done that from winter conditioning to spring ball to summer conditioning to now. Um, we're a lot better football team. I've said that repeatedly, but um, we're better at almost every position we're better at every single position group. I believe I think we're going to be better on special teams and more talented um, and that's all great, but we have to go out as a team and and play like we've been practicing and try to earn some wins
1: and that's the last stage really is is taking all the work and all the stuff that they've banked from the end of last year to now where the reports have almost been universally glowing and, and and put it out on the field and show everybody that indeed that improvement's been
0: made so it's what all the work's for Is now begins on Saturday. And, you know, as they saw, I think Coach Osborne used to say, 70 to 80% of what you were going to be has already been determined. By the time you put ball on tee to kick it off, this team certainly has done an awful lot of work in the last nine months to, to make this a better fall. Speaking of putting the
1: ball on tee, Coach Frost was asked about how important it is once they tee it up to get off to a good start on Saturday.
2: Well, hopefully we play more than one play. Yeah. Um, Saturday. Um, I know those guys are excited to come up here and, and watching them on tape. I think they, they're a well coached team with some good athletes. Um, but our guys are excited to play too. It, hopefully we get to play it, um, that we play well and execute well. Uh, we're, we're excited. I, th- I think the whole team is looking forward to competing against someone else instead of against each other.
1: And just look at the uh, starting quarterback for South Alabama, Cephas Johnson, 6'5", 220. you be able to see most of the field from that uh, from yep. that perch. But uh, South Alabama, will have some athletes up here. I think it's fair to say Nebraska will have a marked talent advantage. But at this point, you just want to hit somebody wearing some other colors other than red and white
0: you want to play as a team not split in half you want to be one team one heartbeat right exactly That's what gets going
1: and and show what show where all that work has gotten them and show where they've where they've gone and for heaven's sakes play the dadgum thing after (laughs) after the kickoff through the end zone for a touchback Uh, one of the lingering questions around this team is the status of IBAC Maurice Washington of course Maurice, a very explosive player, but facing some legal problems in the state of California. And Maurice was listed as the co starter at running back on the depth chart released earlier today. Scott Frost was asked about Washington's status for the game.
2: We're still trying to determine uh, what's going on with Maurice. I said this before, we're taking uh, his issues very seriously. Um, we got to wait and and try to get more clarity and resolution before the week comes up and then uh, several people will sit down and try to make the best decision
1: so from that comment fairly non-committal about maurice washington's status the depth chart uh, would say his odds of playing are pretty good, but it also sounds from that cut that this coaching staff is still evaluating, still trying to pull in some more information before determining one way or another whether Maurice Washington plays.
0: Next court dates next Tuesday. Who knows what will be set after that, what will be said during that. I, I, my gut tells me he plays this week, and then they'll see what happens on September the 3rd when the legal proceedings kick back in. Yeah, I, it, just from
1: the depth chart, like I said, it, it suggests that he'll play, yeah. but, but we'll see.
0: All right, you're going to tell us about Adrian Martinez. I hear he's good.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's good. Uh, and apparently, according to the head football coach, Scott Frost, he's looked real good in preseason practice.
2: Yeah, um, Adrian provides us with at least a wow moment a day. Um, he made a throw the other day that I've never really seen before maybe watching the Chiefs play last year. Um, we just need him like the team. We need him to play like he's been practicing. He's way more comfortable in the offense. Obviously has the talent to make about any play he needs to on the football field. Um, now we just need to be efficient and have that happen at a high rate. A wow moment cool. every day. That
1: that's That's good stuff. And he dropped a... Very subtle Patrick Mahomes comparison. Please don't do that to me, Scott. Wow. Yeah.
0: Not pumping the brakes on that hype train, are nope. they? No, nope. not at all. Not at all. I mean,
1: a sophomore captain, leader of the team, executing well in practice, it all sounds like a quarterback that can take you to a championship.
0: Wow. Love it. Yeah. Yeah
1: exactly what you're looking for now coach frost was asked if adrian martinez development and how his career has gone has max has matched the expectations that this coaching staff had for him
2: i would have guessed that this is what adrian would have accomplished yeah just knowing adrian and the type of person that he was getting to know him in recruiting and before we started last year uh, he certainly hasn't disappointed um He's been a leader on our offense with which again was kind of a necessity. Since we're still really young on offense, uh, we won't have very many seniors on the field this year on offense. So I think that's why you see two underclassmen captains on offense. Um, but Adrian came in, we weren't sure what we were gonna get last year. We had a pretty good idea and of what we hoped he could be last year. And I think he at least met those expectations for a first year player. Um, He's considerably better right now. So I hope he keeps meeting and exceeding our expectations.
1: This, is, this guy is clearly the cornerstone of this program. I mean, they were still wiping the Gatorade out of their hair when they called him up and asked him to be a Cornhusker. And thus far, he has done nothing but be the block from which the rest of this program is being built.
0: Love it and cannot wait to watch him take more snaps starting Saturday.
1: And to think that he's going to plug in with ten, with eleven games as the starter, and at the play, at, at the level at which he was playing last year, with more playmakers around him, with a line blocking at that level, and, and all gassed up, y- you start licking your chops a little bit about what this offense can do and where it can go with him at the controls. One of the guys that Adrian Martinez has at his disposal is Diedrich Mills, the transfer from junior college who spent a year at Georgia Tech and then went to junior college after some discipline issues, was great in junior college and so far so good here at Nebraska according to head coach Scott Frost.
2: Diedrich is a little like Adrian and what I was saying about him. We had high hopes for what we were getting when we got him out of junior college, I think he I think he surprised me at how quickly he's caught on and. Um, his talent, uh, he, he's been a real pleasant surprise in, in camp and I, I see good things coming from. him. He runs really hard and plays hard and comes to practice every day and works. Um, probably got better breakaway speed than I expected and uh, he's hard to bring down, so he's going to be a big addition to our offense and. Um, I expect he'll be on the field first play come Saturday. So two
1: things that kind of stand out to me in that comment from Scott Frost. The first one is how totally Diedrich Mills is embracing this second chance and and understanding, look, your chances to make a mark in college football are more and more limited. Your chances to hopefully go on to play football for pay are becoming more limited so you have to come out and work at a high level every day and he's done that to this point the other thing that's exciting there is breakaway speed because when when you heard about him when you read about him uh, when you saw his height and weight listed you thought well this is going to be a good guy between the tackles and he will keep moving the chains but to get the home run they're going to have to look at Robinson they're going to have to look at at Miles Jones they're going to or Maurice Washington they're going to have to look at an other direction but it sounds like that's a tool that mills has in his bag too
0: love it and we'll see with think about how many times last year you saw divine pop through and then finish it off with a touchdown will he'll get opportunities to have those kind of gaps and those kind of explosion plays we'll know we'll know probably in the first couple weeks does he have the ability to take it all the way or not
1: and that was one of the red flags with Greg Bell Absolutely. last year was the fact that he would get those big holes, he would get those big gashes, and then get trailed out of bounds at about the 20-yard line. Right. So so we'll get a pretty clear picture early on where Diedrich Mills stacks up in terms of explosiveness. Uh, Austin Allen, one of the big stories from this depth chart release is he was named as a co-starter with Jack Stoll. And of course, Jack Stoll with great credentials at tight end. But Austin Allen, kid from Aurora, his game is developing quite a bit, according to Scott Frost.
2: Yeah, Jack Stoll's had a great camp. And we feel great as with him as our lead guy. Uh, but uh, Austin has improved by leaps and bounds. Um, to the point there's no, no drop off when he's in and Jack isn't. There's gonna be a lot of sets that we run with both those guys on the field. Uh, so we thought it was just and fair to, to list them both as ones because that's how we feel about them.
1: So, yeah, it doesn't, putting them as or isn't a, a rip or a, a comment on Jack Stoll. It just says Austin Allen has come on very strong and this team will run a lot of double tight end sets to where. Along with Stoll, it'll be Austin Allen out there.
0: I think it might be one of the most improved positions on this football team. I really do. Oh, sure. You had plenty
1: of material to work with there to start. And, you know, Allen being a taller kid, you got to think he's put some meat on the frame. He's gotten a little more coordinated, and so that'll make him more dangerous out there. And you look at the receiving core. Obviously he's the tallest one you've got. So if you've got a red zone situation where you need a receiver to win a jump ball, he can get some targets that he wouldn't otherwise get.
0: Yeah. Time now for the weekly breakdown.
3: What a memorable first game at home in the big 10 conference
0: with color analyst and former national champion.
3: All the games played for this historic program all the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime, and we've seen the best one here today against the top 10 team.
0: It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, we got a game week here. None better to talk to us about that than Matt Davison. I'm sure you're ready to watch this team play as somebody else, right?
3: No, oh, man. I think everybody is, right? It's a great time of year to be a Husker fan, and we've been working hard over here at the stadium. The guys are ready. It's game week finally. I think they're tired of hitting each other now, and so they're ready to get out and play South Alabama and try to put on a show at 11 o'clock on Saturday.
0: What have you seen from camp? What have you liked?
3: Well, Coach Braus has talked about it a lot, but but it's just your twos are so much easier, and from a coaching perspective at least, the guys know the systems now. They know both sides of the ball. Um, They know where to go on the practice field. I mean, they're just reacting out of what they see. They're playing faster. Uh, they understand what's going on out there. And there was probably a little too much thinking. I think that happens in the first year of programs as guys are, are learning new systems. But this year they know what to do, and you can see a, a big difference there. And then the guys are obviously bigger and faster and stronger this year too. Zach Duvall did a great job in the off season and So the guys are, I think, confident in that way too, that physically they're ready to take on a Big Ten season.
0: Matt, last year two of the bigger weapons on offense were Devine, Azigbo and Stanley Morgan. How about replacing those? Is it going to be more by committee? Do you think at those two spots? Sure, you're fired up
3: for that. Well, obviously both of those guys had great seasons last year. Devine Azigbo really emerged as the season went along. Had a tremendous season at running back and. And he had Stanley Morgan, had 1,000 yards receiving, and that's tough to replace. But but J.D. Spielman had a big season last year as well. Maybe would have had 1,000 yards had he not gotten hurt at the end of the season. And so we expect him to have a big year. We have a transfer with kind of I-Noah and some other guys at wide receiver, Wandale Robinson, and some other young guys that have really done a good job. And so I think we're going to be fine. Uh, running back brought in G- Diedrich Mills from junior college. I think he's going to have a, a big role in this offense, and so we okay, have guys that I so think we can put so around Adrian Martinez, who's a special yeah. guy, and and he can make some plays himself, and he can get the how ball you, to these guys. And I think with Coach Frost's schemes on offense, it's all going to come Minnesota together pretty nicely.
0: Matt Davison's with us. It's our six six first best Mondays best. with Matt of the 2019 Lower season. Black shirts handed out today. Minnesota you were there. Than Take than us South inside West. that. What was that like?
1: Lower than third.
3: Is, is it was pretty cool, Greg. I'll tell you. It, it was a, a great idea to, to bring in former players. And so we had a bunch of guys that played in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, and they came back and handed out individually the black shirts to the guys that had earned them this, this camp and in the offseason, and and um, guys that Coach Shenander Coach Brown felt like deserved them. And each of them individually told the team what the black shirt meant to them when they got it and what it still means to them in their lives now. And you had grown men that had tears in their eyes in, in Talk Center today because of what it meant to them. And I think it was important for our guys on the team now to see it, understand how much it means to them, and what it means to wear it every day. And once you earn it, that's great. You have to keep earning it every day. And I think that was one of the great messages that they heard today. And so it was really good. Game week, I think it's going to be a nice shot in the arm for those guys to go to practice tomorrow wearing those black shirts.
0: Matt, I think for us, this program, to get to where we all want it to go, they have got to be better on that side of the ball. Did you see signs of that during fall camp?
3: For sure. I mean, they, they ran to the ball even better in the spring. But in fall camp here, it's it's been a a much different team. Uh, I think we have better team speed. I think we're pretty stout up front. Darian Daniels was a huge addition on the defensive line. Um, And I think just understanding the system even further, again, to reiterate that point. The guys know where to go. They know the coverages. They know what we're doing uh, against different looks. And, you know, they see a tough offense to defend every single day in practice. A team that goes fast and a team that throws a lot at you and so i think our defense is going to be be prepared for a lot of different things because that's what they see on a daily basis and so the guys i think are they're hungry to get back out there last season didn't go the way they wanted to defensively they were pretty disappointed and i think they're a motivated bunch right now
0: Would like to see more takeaways did you see some of that either in the spring or in
3: august well <laughs> If we saw him in practice, that meant the offense wasn't doing a right, right. job, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it's been a point of emphasis, obviously, and it's something that is probably the biggest stat in all of football is turnovers, and we have to be better at it, and we haven't been good at it in some time at, at this school, really. And so it's something that we've talked about a lot on both sides of the ball, and in special teams as well. We have to protect it, and we have to go get it when we're on defense. And so, yeah, you can talk about it, practice it. That's rich. Uh, you know, know, when that's opportunities right. are there, you have Go to take ahead. advantage. If they throw it to you, you have to come catch on, it. If it you're on defense. And if they fumble it, you, you need to recover it. I mean, it's and it's so those are all scheduled. things that we've worked on hard in the off season, and yeah, hopefully it five, develops into good numbers at the end of the year.
0: Depth chart was put out earlier today. A handful of, of true freshmen on that chart. Does that surprise you at all?
3: Not really. You know, at certain positions, I think it's easier to come in and play right away, obviously. And, and. You know, you look at Wandale Robinson, and he's a gifted kid. And no shocker that he's, you know, up there on the depth chart and he's going to play a big role on offense. Um, Garrett Nelson on defense. Uh, a couple other guys on defense that are in the two deep. And then I think there's going to be other guys that, that you'll see still have a chance throughout the season who, who will help us on special teams. And, and you never know. Hopefully we don't have injuries, but things happen. And, So I I think you'll have guys that play in four games and still redshirt. I think you'll have other guys that we think today may redshirt that end up may not redshirt because they get better as the season goes along and and circumstances change. So, you know, we're starting to see more depth in the program now. We have a young football team, especially on offense. And so, you know, that means that, you know, we're young, but I think we're talented. And I think that means good things for the future.
0: All right, I've made myself a note to, to make a phone call to you early Saturday morning. This will be the first home opener that's going to kick off before noon at Nebraska since 2000. I mean, this is that would have been in your playing days. We had a kickoff at at noon against San Jose State. This is odd to be playing at 11 a.m. on the first game of the year.
3: Yeah, I don't even remember that game very well. It was my senior year, but... i remember they had a big defensive end that i didn't really want to block very much on those crack plays i remember him but um yeah you know i don't think it's a bad thing get down here and play we practice in the morning every day and our guys are going to be ready on saturday for sure i know our fans will it's a great time of year to have football back as a part of our lives and obviously we've had a couple of seasons in a row that we kind of want to forget about and so i think the guys are juiced and energized and ready to get out there it's going to be a ton of fun and Thanks to the fans for always supporting the program. I know it's going to be a great atmosphere again on Saturday, and the home field advantage is going to be huge for us this season. And along with recruiting and everything else that goes into those home games, you know, it's just awesome that we have the fans that we have.
0: No doubt. All right, we'll see you in the booth on Saturday morning.
3: All right, buddy. Thanks. Although this
0: past weekend, week zero, had a couple of big-time football games. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will join us throughout the football season on Monday nights. Good evening, Adam. How are you?
4: I'm doing great, Greg. How are you? It's exciting. Game week's finally here.
0: Sure is. Hey, congratulations. We've been talking about it throughout the program, the story you dropped over the weekend, looking back at the amazing 2009 season for Indomitian Sioux. Tell me what what spurred you to put that story together.
4: Well, you know, we did a similar piece, Greg. I appreciate that, and thank you for your input. It was great talking to you and so many people who remember what Ndamukong did that year, because I don't think it'll be replicated perhaps ever again. But, you know, we did a similar piece last year, looking back at Barry Sanders' 1988 season. So that was 30 years later. And um, obviously uh, Jake Trotter, who did a great job on college football, now with the, covering the Cleveland Browns for us, he, he put together the story. And we, we thought let's do something similar, um, but uh, a little bit more recent. And, and to look back at Ndamukong's season and everything that happened that year, to him and to Nebraska, and so it was really fun, you know, talking with him and, and Bo Pelini and yourself and so many other people who had great memories of, of that season because uh, it was really one of the iconic performances in recent college football history.
0: And he hit a guy too hard. That's what the penalty came down for,
3: right?
4: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, in the Baylor game, uh, you know, James Dobson, strength coach in Nebraska, was telling me that story, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was he was just unstoppable and. You know, he uh, you know, Iowa State coaches were worried about one of their players' family suing them for for assault for allowing their son to go against the in that game in Lincoln. And uh, you know, there were just so many Texas coaches, Mack Brown and, and and his staff were great in reflecting on you know a game that they quite frankly felt fortunate to win in large part because of how good he was. And so um, no, I mean obviously Warren Buffett, the connection there, you know, getting to meet him, and they formed a friendship ever since the 2009 season. And so there's just- just so much that happened that year. It was just fun to chronicle it all.
0: So now you and Warren are on first name bases, it sounds like.
4: Oh, yes, definitely. No, no. <laughs> but I do appreciate, you know, he, he's, I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've talked to him before, but he really is. A I great have not. No, I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Okay. Well, he, yeah, he he is a great college football fan. He was telling me a little bit about you know how proud he is that there's been a, I think three Heisman Trophy winners from his hometown of Omaha, and you know he he remembers the old All Star game in Chicago that would pit the great college stars against the NFL stars in August, which sounds crazy if you think about it nowadays. But um, no, he was he was great to talk to, and and certainly thinks very highly of of Indomitian and Nebraska football.
0: All right, let's talk about some games. Uh, Miami and Florida. Were you surprised by how close that game? Game was pretty sloppy, but I think you expect that in opening weekends. What were your takeaways of that game?
4: Right. Well, to your point, you know those opening games aren't sloppy, and that probably you know should have made me think that it was going to be closer. And I did think there was a good chance, just because I thought very highly of Miami's defense, and I knew that both offensive lines we're going to struggle. Obviously, Miami struggled more than Florida's did, allowing 10 sacks of so the Florida's defensive front. Uh, had a lot to do with that. John Grenard was a great pickup for them you know, through transfer, coming over from Louisville to join uh, you know, Zuniga and, and those other outstanding pass rushers. And so, you know, and again, Florida last year, sure, they were a top-10 team, but they weren't the most dominant team in the world, and Felipe Franks had been up and down at quarterback. And I just think the energy that Manny Diaz is going to bring to Miami, uh, I think he really understands. I know it's Thrown around a lot, but the culture of that program because they've always had the, they've always had the talent, as you can see. And if that culture gets gets better and they get the quarterback position right, I think Jaron Williams a promising start for Miami. Uh, that that'll be a program to watch here in the future.
0: Okay, I want to ask you about a couple games coming up this week, and and some of them are, are well, three of the four that I want to ask you about all involve a Pac-12 team, and a, and just an interesting game to me is Thursday night UCLA going to Cincinnati. The Bearcats won out there a year ago. To me, Luke Fickle's done an amazing job at Cincinnati. T- tell me a about that matchup on Thursday.
4: Yeah, this is one of the better opening week matchups. and I think it's definitely the best matchup of, on Thursday night. Uh, you know, Cincinnati last year, 11 wins. Outstanding season from Luke Fickle, and really, if you look at their roster, you can make a case that they're going to be a better team this year. You know, their young quarterback returns, the core of their defense. You know, they, they're very, very good at running back. They're very deep there, and so you know they have a tougher schedule, especially the first two, UCLA and then Ohio State on the road. But um, I think Cincinnati's a team to watch in the AAC. And maybe a contender for the New Year's Six, um, but UCLA is going to be better. And Cincinnati knows that. I spoke to somebody on the Cincinnati staff just a couple days ago, and, and they, they fully expect, you know, a different type of Chip Kelly team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, you know, they, they have they're a lot bigger along the line of scrimmage. UCLA is. They've got a really good running back in Joshua Kelly. Uh, you know their quarterback is a sophomore now, so he's got some experience under his belt. And so I, I think you, you have two teams that are going to be better, but uh, you know Cincinnati having that game at home certainly gives them the advantage.
0: Is is Chip enjoying himself? Can you get a sense of that, Adam?
4: You know, I, 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 it, it's hard to say because um, uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't reveal much. But I, I still think he enjoys the game. I think it's been a challenge at UCLA, um, and you know, last, you know, last year was not a lot of fun. I don't think any coach would tell you that type of season is fun, but they did improve Towards the end of the year, and um, I'm very interested to see just what he has in store, just schematic-wise. He's always been such a, a strong X's and O's coach, and um, you know does things a little bit differently. I mean, their, their recruiting has drawn some criticism, um, you know, because it's not uh, you know they're not in the top 10 or top 20 from a recruiting standpoint, but he might know what he's doing, and and we may just be surprised by how his team uh, turns out. But you know, there's not a whole lot of buzz around that program, um, you know, as a contender in the Pac-12 South, but. Uh, maybe that'll change after Thursday night.
0: All right, staying in the, in the Pac-12, Stanford hosts Northwestern on Saturday. Um, tell me about this matchup.
4: Yeah, know it's you know it's an interesting one. You know, Stanford last the last couple of years has won nine games, but it's felt almost like they won six because we're so used to them. You know, being a contender in the Pac-12 and and they haven't been that. Um, so you know, I think it's an important game for Stanford to get off to a good start and show that they're going to be a relevant team in the Pac-12 North, which should be one of the deeper divisions in college football this year. You know, Stanford has one of the better pro prospects at quarterback, uh, K.J. Costello, uh, who's a second-year starter. Actually, he's been starting for about a year and a half. Um, and They've got some explosiveness at receiver, but they're not the Stanford that we remember from a few years ago where they were just so physical at the line of scrimmage. This is a team that's built a little bit more on the perimeter. They can beat you with speed. And then Northwestern, you know, this is the type of game that they do really well in for whatever reason. They're you know, They're a, a single-point road underdog. I think they've won seven or eight consecutive true road games. They obviously beat Stanford in shocking fashion back in 2015. That was a Stanford team that went on to the Rose Bowl with Christian McCaffrey. Um, And so, you know, Northwestern, obviously, quarterback is the – Spot to watch where Hunter Johnson, the transfer from Clemson, is expected to get the majority of playing time, although T.J. Green uh, also could see the field for for the Wildcats, who also have a very good defense. That's been kind of their bedrock the last few years with Patty Fisher, who's an All-America candidate, Joe Gaziano, one of the better defensive ends in the Big Ten. And so I'd expect a fairly low-scoring game out in uh, Palo Alto, but a competitive game.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be fun to watch. I'm kind of zeroing in on the Pac-12, Adam, because I think it's a big weekend for them to try to establish some credibility. They didn't get it the other night when Arizona got beat by Hawaii, so I'm going to kind of finish this off with, with Auburn and Oregon playing in a neutral site. You have the beef and the speed of the SEC against maybe the quickness of Oregon and a great quarterback. This one ought to be a good one, don't you think?
4: I hope so, Greg. I'll be there for it. So I'm always rooting selfishly for good games that I attend, and I think it will be. And, and you know, you're right that it is uh, you know, power in a sense versus speed, but – Oregon and the offensive line that Mario Cristobal has built uh, in short order you know, is not your typical you know, finesse offensive line. There's nothing finesse about it. And I think the key matchup of the game is going to be that offensive line, which has several all America candidates against uh, Auburn's defensive front, which may be, you know, I think a top three defensive line in the country it may turn out to be the best defensive line in the country, led by Derek Brown, who shocked many by returning for his final season at Auburn. And then there's you know interesting you know, uh, elements elsewhere. You have, obviously, Justin Herbert, uh, who many think is the is, is the highest uh, you know rated for pro prospect at quarterback, behind maybe Tua Tungavailoa at Alabama, you know, he's got to have a good performance for Oregon. You know they had a lot of drop set receiver last year, so he's got to find the way to get his receivers the ball, and they're going to have to hold on to the ball. And then on the other side of it, Auburn starting a true freshman in Bo Nix, the son of former Auburn quarterback Patrick Nix. Coaches that recruited him uh, have told me uh, he's outstanding, and they absolutely made the right call. But it's still a true. freshman freshman on a very big stage against a pretty good Oregon defense and Gus Malzahn who many believe is coaching for his job this year has reclaimed the play calling duties. so that's another element to this matchup so uh, it's interesting for the Pac-12 Greg because if Oregon wins and they need to win it's obviously great for the league but then they need Auburn to go on and have a good season you don't want to say well our best win was against a seven and five SEC team that's the that's the, the problem with some of this is you beat somebody and they go on to struggle you don't get as much credit but it's certainly better than, 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 than losing to a team that, that doesn't do much. That was sort of the case for Washington last year. They lost to Auburn in a close contest. Auburn was a mediocre team. Washington goes on to win the Pac-12, and they don't get much credit for that. Right.
0: Uh, conference matchup in the ACC Virginia at Pitt. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Bronco Mendenhall's Cavaliers. Are you buying Virginia that they could be a threat to win their division?
4: Oh, I think anyone's a threat to win that division. I think, you know, Pitt, the fact they won it last year with, uh, with really no passing game is, uh, you know, it, it shows that, that it's, it's so wide open. Um, I think absolutely uh, Virginia with Bryce Perkins, one of the better quarterbacks, in the ACC put up great numbers last year as the respective coaches around the league and then you you know Bronco Mendenhall's always been a fine defensive coach and that should be a really good defense especially in the back uh, seven so and I know for talking to some folks at Pitt they're very excited about their quarterback Kenny Pickett who's a junior, and you know, they have a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple. I think he's going to open it up a little bit more, but Pat Narduzzi still wants to run the football. So I think that'll be a key matchup is, is whether uh, Pitt can can, can can find some some room and score some points against a very good Virginia defense.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting conference matchup here in week one. Adam, travel safe to Texas, and we look forward to chatting with you each and every Monday throughout the season. Greg Sharp, Nate back with you. Monday night, press conference day today, the first of the year. They bring players up. They brought the captains up today, and you caught up with one that may have the distinction of it can't be more than a couple guys that have been captains at two Power 5 football schools like Darian Daniels. It can't be very many of those kind of guys. Yeah,
1: it's got to be a pretty short list of those guys, but you spend a little time talking with Darian Daniels, and you spend a little time around him, and you understand why very well spoken good communicator you can you can see why people like him and gravitate toward him and we've heard nothing but good things about him from the coaching staff and his defensive line mates as we've gotten ready for this year so had a chance to sit down with him earlier today at the news conference at memorial stadium and started the conversation by asking him how ready he was to get after somebody who wasn't
5: wearing a red and white jersey i'm beyond ready um I missed a lot of football this past year, so I've been watching from the sidelines for quite a while, and I haven't really had a live snap in, in some time, so I'm, I'm extremely eager and ready. You
1: come to Nebraska as a graduate transfer from Oklahoma State. Your brother was already up here. As you were maybe looking for somewhere else to play, what was the lay of the land that your brother gave you uh, as maybe you were deciding to move up here to Nebraska?
5: Um, I really wasn't looking. It was um, my mind was really on staying at the school um, and just having a conversation with my brother. He was like, just come play here. You know, you got an extra year. We never really had the opportunity to um, play side-by-side on the defense together in high school. So it's a year that we can get back, and I took it
1: as you started working here at nebraska what what uh, stood out to you as you began you know spring practice and starting to work with tony
5: Tuioti and starting to work with the other guys on the steel line um i'd say the relationship with the coaches um all the players seems as if that their relationship with their personal position coaches and then also just like other coaches um that coach different positions there is very tight you know um, a lot of Organizations, they say, you know, we're family oriented, but here it's like it's it's really different, and it's actually very obvious that you can see that the players and the coaches have a great relationship, and it just makes the players want to play even harder.
1: You and Tony you are kind of the two new guys. Have you guys kind of helped uh, each other settle into that family and find your place here?
5: Oh yeah, yeah. One um, thing Coach T uh, talked to me about uh, when we first got here was that he's kind of new and that he's uh, as he was still trying to fill out everybody he wanted me to be able to um, communicate with him you know the 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 vibe of the defensive line and if things are going wrong or what things are going right and just to give him some type of feedback and we've kind of helped each other uh, along in that in that direction just to kind of keep you know our position uh, in, in check
1: chatting with darian daniels here on sports nightly uh, you mentioned that this was an opportunity to play with your brother damian what has it meant to you to work with him up to this point through winter conditioning spring practice uh the summer and now here what's it meant just to come this far with him
5: mm-hmm. Uh it's been a lot actually it's been a lot um one thing that growing up me and my brother would often work out well we didn't have a choice we mm-hmm. would uh, work out together and um it was a, anything you can do, I can do better. Type feel. So it's like he'll set the standard, and I have to, and I and I have to exceed it. And then he doesn't like he doesn't like he's very competitive. He doesn't like being outdone in anything. So he he took it as a challenge to to get better as well. So me being here, it's it's actually it's actually been very beneficial for both of us to push each other to our to our limits. Where do you feel that competition has helped you the most? Um, just uh. In the weight room, and and huge a lot in the weight room. My brother's a very strong person, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've had two surgeries my time in college, so I've kind of I'm kind of playing catch up. But him always pushing me to uh, to do more and, and to be more. You know, it's been huge. But um, even also like with my tenacity on the field, I, I like to believe that I'm a very aggressive player on the football field. Um, but my aggression doesn't meet my brother's aggression a lot of the time so it's he's kind of he's kind of had to um you know pep talk me up to 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 be more nasty
1: you talk about how your brother has made you better how do you feel you've made uh, your brother damien better
5: um just with accountability and um once you set a standard making sure he he continued to um to beat that um a lot of people said uh, when coming in, a lot of there was a lot of uh, narrative saying that my brother really wasn't conditioned and that he wasn't in shape and that he couldn't do more than three plays. So it was um, a huge challenge of mine was to get my brother conditioned to uh, while I, when I got here and. A lot of you – can, you can ask a lot of linebackers and DBs and even D-linemen. They say, like, my brother now is a completely different player than what he used to be because he – you'll see him chasing out the screens. You'll see him after the ball is thrown, bursting to the ball and, and all that good stuff.
1: Chatting with Darian Daniels here on Sports Nightly and uh, – even though you were just named captain uh, we had heard earlier even fall camp and maybe even back to spring about how you had emerged as a leader as you came here did you feel like that was a place where you needed to step up where you needed to step in and and work as a leader even though you were just coming into
5: this program uh not at all um i literally came here um I'm not gonna say I wanted to be average. I never want to be average, but I just came in wanted to do my job. I came in wanted to um, really encourage and help my brother out. Um, and one, my parents taught me. My mom, especially, she told me growing up never to hold my tongue if I feel passionately about something. I need to speak on it, and that's how I've always been. So uh, I'll see something if it's not right to me. You know, I. Uh, I speak my mind on it. If something was going great, I want to give my teammates praise to let them know that they're doing a good job and to keep it up. And um, that's just a habit that I developed. And I guess through spring and through through summer, uh, it was just enough for them to, to trust me with it. And you
1: get named captain at the Boneyard Bash Saturday. What did it mean for that leadership and the work that you've put in to be recognized in that way, you know, that so quickly they see you as one of the guys that they want out front for this program?
5: It was very um, overwhelming. Just um, my short amount amount of time here for me to leave um, that big of an impact on my teammates for them to vote me as a captain. Um, It meant the world to me because – it wasn't one of those deals where the coaches put out some names and you had to select from them. It was an open ballot where anybody could have won, um, yeah. and for a majority of my, my my peers and my teammates to to vote for me, it's it was it was a great experience.
1: Uh, do you what responsibilities do you feel as captain? You know, it, it, does it change anything for you now that that you've been elected one of the captains, or is it a situation where you look at what you've done and say, "Well, this has been good to this point. Keep
5: doing it." Oh uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to continue to keep doing what I what I've been doing. Um, but being named captain, it just um, it puts a magnifying glass on me. I believe so. I feel as if anything that I do is going to be seen and now it just um it puts a little bit more pressure on me doing the right thing absolutely you know all the time and just to um you know always make sure I'm I'm practicing what I preach and I always make sure I'm doing the right thing so I'm, I don't I don't give my team a bad look I don't give my coaches a bad look and most importantly I don't I don't make them regret you know putting me in this position
1: You talked about missing most of last year with an injury. Have you felt like your game has come back? And is there a point
5: where maybe you even feel sharper than you were when you went down last year? Oh, yeah. I feel incredibly more sharper than I did this past year. Um, Just because last year year I spent a lot of time in the film room. I spent a lot of time uh, talking to my coaches at Oklahoma State. And one thing they did a really good job of was breaking a lot of the offense down to me and helping me understand – Basically how how the how football works and me being able to um, take that information and, and I'm not going to dummy it down for my teammates, but, you know, relate it to them to where they're going to stand. It helped me see the game differently. And then when I've been able to come back and play, I can see it the game has slowed down tremendously to me. Even with the fast tempo, I can see things develop in front of my face now. And um, I feel like that, that's that's helped me react a lot faster.
1: Well, we're excited to see you put that information to use, and congratulations on getting the uh, captain honor, and good luck this year. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's exciting to picture that guy in the middle of the Husker defense, and you know, one of the big things is just having a guy who's actually a nose tackle, built like a nose tackle, big enough to be a nose tackle, to keep those interior linemen off the linebackers. I think that's going to be a big key in improving this Husker defense.
0: No doubt. What a great influence he's been on that room, too. That was a good interview. Well done. I enjoyed it. Nate Rohr, you survived the Ben McLaughlin vacation around the world. Thank you. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm
1: in the bullpen when you need
0: me. Very good. How about Friday night? Can you come back Friday night? I think I can do it. All right. Ben's with me tomorrow night. We'll have our first volleyball show of the fall. Thanks to Nate, Josh, Austin, and to all of you. Have a great night. We'll do it again tomorrow.